0: I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 160. Oh, I said that was
1: some gumption.
0: Right? Uh, That you probably stole from the hostess at dinner. That girl had so much fucking energy. Yeah, we walk out and she like hops, skips, jumps, and opens the door for us, like holds it open so we can go out. I mean, the girl damn near did a cartwheel. Right? And Carrie said, like, after we passed, Carrie said... (sighs) Man, I wish I had her energy. And Donna, in true fashion of you know that you are a
1: sickly person, as are we, she says, I know she must have that good B12.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did, yeah. You know and i was like and i just want her skin and carrie said who are we the witches of hocus pocus i mean what the fuck i mean we want to skin her and take her soul i mean her childlike energy i mean essence what the fuck so now I'm looking at the witches, and they were not villains, okay? No, they were just trying to live their best life. They were fucking tired is what they were.
1: They were. They were old and tired, and they needed some fucking B12. <laughs> yes, they
0: did. They needed
1: that good, good B12.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. So that's what we think about. But you know what? Some people think we are the good, good, like these Patreoners.
1: You know, quit trying to steal my good, good. <laughs> Of the segways. Of <laughs> the segways. If you start doing the
0: segways, what the fuck am I here for? Um, Everything else. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Iris A. from New Jersey. Kim B. from Canada. Andrew H. from Indiana. Hey, boo, hey. That my boo. I mean, he might be engaged to somebody else, but he my boo. Okay. Sorry. Aaron M. from Illinois. Sophie S. from Denmark. Belle D. from North Carolina. Ashlyn F. from Kansas. Amanda E. from South Carolina.
1: Carrie S. from Kentucky. Spelled the same way.
0: (laughs) The right way. Just kidding. (laughs) The best way. I love your Grinch. Like, it's... Every (laughs) voice is the Grinch. (laughs) And Kendra K. from Indiana. Thank
1: y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout-out... Head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast, and we'll
0: read your name, just like the Sinister Sightings, as they come in. Also, a little tidbit about Patreon, you know we always plug it, because we put our heart and soul into this podcast, but then Patreon is just the cherry on top. It's, I'm sorry, it's the what? I'm sorry, cherry, cherry on top. That's still not right. This is what you get on the bloopers, right here, live and in color. Cherry, cherry. There you go. <laughs> She was a cheery old soul. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Yes. The cherry on top. Mm-hmm. But Iris A, she just started doing Thirsty Thursdays in a group chat. So it's like happy hour on Discord, but it's like voice chatting. So instead of Zoom,
1: where you have to be like, oh, let me show you my face. No. Yeah. No face needed just your (coughs) your voice exactly we're fucking like ursula give me
0: your voice (laughs) give me your voice (laughs) we have gone from hocus pocus we're always the fucking villains or witches Witches. i was gonna say that but okay but you're more of a bitch oh god you took my
1: line (laughs) you should talk faster you should have been getting your b12 sooner (laughs)
0: uh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, she just started it and it's fun. We get to jump in from time to time and like Carrie said, you don't have to dress up. You can go and come as you please. And Creep Mom, she did this uh special Hold My Snakes cocktail like recipe this last time. So it's really cool. So if you're in the creepinati and you want to join, get on Discord. Again, it's really chill and you get to know people. Quarantine's still going on, so you can't really go to happy hour all the time, so uh, we're bringing it to you, courtesy of Iris A. Okay, one thing before we get started. I have been watching, like obsessively watching this show called Money Heist, and I am pulling a carry on this one because it's been around for a while now, but someone told me about it, and they were like, it's in Spanish, but, like, you can dub over English, because I'm not all the time looking at the TV, so I need something that I can hear, too. Like, so I don't mind it being in a different language, but I have to actively pay attention all the time, or I don't fucking know what's going on. Right. Oh, my goodness. I am hooked. I can't even tell you what it's about, because it's about 25,000 different things, but... Ultimately, it takes place during a robbery. Hence, you know, the name. Yeah. I will say the one thing about it is that they're all strangers with one goal in mind, but they become a family, you know? And I always love that. It's like the underdogs you root for, and then they come together and all of that. So, you know, I love that kind of stuff. All right, so... Another segue, since I talked about, you know, them becoming a family, I'm going to talk about a family. All right, so picture it. It's late 1999, early 2000, right outside of Oklahoma City in a small, close-knit community lived Rebecca and her family. She was an English teacher, and she had one child already, but she wanted a second one. She didn't have high hopes because she was older and, you know, the whole late-in-life category. However, she got pregnant relatively quick after she started trying and was over the moon. But there was still that concern and fear because she was older. Rebecca did end up having complications early in her pregnancy, around the third month, and she was put on partial bed rest and not sure if she was going to be able to continue on with her pregnancy. But she wasn't going to lose hope because things had played in her favor to get to this point. So in her mind, this was just going to be a blip in her pregnancy journey. Rebecca ended up being back at work, off of bed rest, and it was right after Thanksgiving. And she started having contractions. It was lunchtime. She felt her water break. And you might be thinking, oh my God, yay, she made it. But here's the thing. Her baby wasn't due until January 15th. And it was the end of November, making the baby seven weeks premature. But luckily, Jacob was born and he weighed five pounds, four ounces and 19 and a half inches long. He was healthy and no other complications at all. They lived a normal, happy and hectic life with a newborn. But fast forward to when Jacob was two years old and the family had just finished lunch, and they were all in the living room, and he was playing with some toys on the floor in front of them. He then proceeded to ask them a question that would make all of their hearts drop out of their asses. He looked up and asked, why did you take me from my other family? No, girl, what? Like reincarnation? Hmm, perhaps. So, Rebecca asked him to repeat himself because clearly she hadn't heard him correctly, And he repeated the question clear as day. And she retorted that she had not taken him away, that he was her child. But he refused to believe her. And he started going in detail about his other family. He described his father as a man who often wore a hat and his mother who wore her hair back at her neck. He went on, you know, with details and... It floored Rebecca, and she had no idea where he would get this idea from or anything, because again, he is too. But she said that she had no other answer than, hey, I'm your mother. I gave birth to you. Like, that's it. That's all the proof you need. And another thing, Jacob didn't seem to have a bad life. Him and his older brother got along well. His father and him got along well and spent time with each other. Him and his mom were close, etc. You know, just a happy child. All up until now. And he wasn't angry, he was just curious at this point. As he got older, he didn't forget the questions that he had. He only had more questions that needed answers. He asked Rebecca why he wasn't the older brother. Remember, she had him later in life, so Jacob's older brother was 12 and a half years older than him. However, he did get angry about not being firstborn and Jacob had always been calm, cool, and collected, but this anger like came out of left field, and so that really threw Rebecca for a loop. He would also tell his older cousin Heather about his other family and ask why he was taken from them. She said that she didn't really believe him, and she's skeptical of this whole other family thing because kids have imagination and stuff. She's more of the Carrie. You know, she's like, it's his imagination he's just seeking attention, kind of thing, like I love him, but I'm not putting stock into this whole thing and Another thing to know about Jacob is that he was never a good sleeper. He was a tosser, a turner, you know the type when you put him into bed in one position, you wake them up and they are in a completely different position, completely different area of the bed. The covers are all twisted, and you're just like, "What the fuck went on last night? Well. He seemed to have nightmares during his sleep, and so Rebecca was thinking that maybe he was fighting sleep, trying to stay awake so he didn't have to relive those nightmares, but she didn't know. She's just making assumptions at this point. Well, Rebecca caught Jacob doing some art one time because he loved art, and she said that it was really dark, but, you know, kids have imagination, and she was just kind of silently freaking out in her head and did the whole face like, oh, God. But went on about her business. That was until he continued to draw these same things over and over and over. And then she couldn't ignore it anymore because it would be these creatures or characters. And Rebecca described them as being dark, scribbling creatures with red eyes. So she asked him what he was drawing. And he said it was shadow people. And it looked like shadow people. Like, anything you've seen illustrated, it looked like that. Yeah. And apparently, he would even draw them during school, constantly. And the only one that was ever different was the hat man. Well, of course, Rebecca pressed him more about this hat man, and Jacob said that he was mean and that he taunted him. And it's like the hat man knew that he was afraid, so he would stay far enough away but close enough, like just outside his bedroom door to elicit the fear that the hat man wanted from him, which sounds just like the hat man we all know, where he stays right in the doorframe. But Jacob said that the hat man started to talk to him and he would taunt him that way too, saying things like, Jacob, you only have to take five steps to turn on the bathroom light. Do you think you could do it? I don't think you can. Like, oh my gosh, could you imagine? No. Ugh. Over time, Jacob insisted to sleep with a TV on to try to drown out the shadow people and mostly shut out the bullying from the hat man. So fast forward just a little bit, and there came a time when Jacob started to have a really hard battle with headaches. His pediatrician said that These were probably interfering with his sleep, too, and causing some of the restlessness. So, Jacob ended up having to have some scans done of his brain and undergo some other tests. But luckily, they came back without any evidence of brain trauma, illness, or disorders causing these headaches. I just wanted to be like, um, you think? I know. Like, these headaches are
1: causing this trauma? Like, thanks. (laughs) 10 years in medical school and what do you get common sense and a lot of student loans. I'm telling me I <laughs> go to medical school. It's the problem with therapy school, <laughs> medical school, student loan debt, not Dr. pay.
0: <laughs> well, even though it is lucky that no evidence came back, no direct calls for these headaches, but it meant that they were kind of unexplainable which sucks. We've all been there. No certain treatment for it. We can't explain it. So we're just going to kind of do this and hope this works. Do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. Lots of money. Very Dorothy's born act of him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. For all you Golden Girls lovers. <laughs> yes. So the hectic nights, headaches, weird, scary drawings, and talks of another family continued. One night, Rebecca and Jacob were in her room on the bed just watching a movie. And out of the blue, Jacob told her that he had something to tell her. But he knew it would upset her. And so he had just been keeping it from her. And that sounds like something I would say to you. And you'd be like, oh, God, what? And and then you would just take this long fucking drawn-out pause
1: and be like, what? Just fucking tell me what. And then I would start crying because I'm anticipating that you're going to tell me like the worst possible thing. And then you're like, no, don't cry. And I'm like, just fucking tell me. But I have to word it in a certain way or you will be mad
0: or cry.
1: And I'm already crying because I think it's like literally the worst fucking thing. And then you're like, I don't like that color on you. And I'm like, really? (laughs) That's
0: it? Well, you have me conditioned, okay? Well, can I recondition you to talk faster? No. I'm sloth speed over here. So she's kind of like freaking out because, you know, the kid already said that she's stolen him from another family. So what else can you say that would make her feel worse? But, oh, what about, I remember the day I died? Because he said he could remember that. So she's confused because she doesn't know what he's trying to tell her. Like something from the past or is he seeing something from the future? Do we know how old he is at this point? At this point, he is... Uh, like seven, eight. Okay. Jacob continued on about his dream or his vision. He said that he could see himself in the woods somewhere and he was in his mid-teens, 15 or 16, and he turned his head to the left to look over his shoulder. And when he turned back around, he was hit in the side of the head with a baseball bat. He said he then fell to the ground and could see a figure of someone over him But he had a lot of trouble because his eyes had blood in them, So he couldn't make out who the person was above him. And the thing is, Jacob didn't know if it was past, present, or future either. And so that really bothered him. But the more Rebecca thought about everything, she's like, wait, could this be a past life experience? I
1: love that this mom is just like here for it and totally just like, okay, tell me more.
0: yeah. Well, and this was something that she had never believed in. She was raised Pentecostal and had a very strict upbringing. So it wasn't something that she was told to put any faith into. And the cousin Heather didn't believe Jacob either, and she was like, "You know what? and so this is this is why I say Heather's use. She's like he could have overheard stories, put them together. And this is what he has, like a vivid imagination. He's put it together in one story, and here it is, you know. And we don't know anything to say that's not true. You know, you Mm -hmm. can't dispel it, but also you don't have to believe it. But the more Jacob talked about his other family and his death, it just pushed Rebecca into that belief of reincarnation is real, or it could be. But then around 10 years old, Jacob stopped talking about his other family. Rebecca said she's not sure if he stopped because he was tired of people making him feel weird and probably feeling like an outcast then or if he didn't believe it anymore. But Jacob still held on to that anxiety about his death that he had dreamt about and had seen happen. Because he was still unaware if it was past or present. And Rebecca didn't want her son to live in fear of dying anymore. And she didn't want that to be a detriment to his quality of life. For something that he thinks happened or is going to happen. And then, you know, always looking over his shoulder. And it could be a figment of his imagination. You know, it could not be something unexplainable, you know, like supernatural. And things went on like that for a while. You know, they were quote unquote normal and had a happy life. But Rebecca was determined to help her son any way she could, because she could still see he wasn't living to his full potential. And the only way she thought she could help was by researching teenage deaths that happened that involved a baseball bat. That came back with a lot, so she had some more facts about Jacob's visions, and so she can narrow down the field. She found a few that seemed to be promising, but one she felt really fit the profile of Jacob's visions, even down to the older brother detail, which I'll get back to later. Because we're gonna switch gears a little bit and go back in time to November 20th, 1986. On this day, Jenny Quint, her 14-year-old son Sean Willett, her daughter Yvonne, and her 7-year-old stepson Matthew Willett were unaware that it would be their last day they were all going to be together. Sean had been invited over to a friend's house to hang out, play pool, fireworks, and build a fort, which was one of his biggest hobbies, but he never returned home. So, obviously, Jenny and Yvonne were riddled with panic. And Jenny's mother's intuition was telling her that her 14-year-old son, Sean, wasn't a runaway like the police suspected. But instead, he was missing, or worse, dead. Mm. And then two weeks later, Sean's body was found in the woods, and there was evidence of a brutal attack. Sean's killer was 14-year-old Rod Matthews, another student at the same high school Sean went to. Rod was a guy who invited Sean over to his house, and Rod was part of the cool crowd. You know, he was the class clown. He was that, I mean, his name was Rod. Hello, he was that guy. Can we get a little air quotes around the cool crowd? Oh, for sure. So this was a big deal for Sean, he was ecstatic, and so was his mom, because he was having a hard time making friends, because they had just moved to this area, and so he was new at school. And remember how you hated Nelson's mom because of how she was like... He's ugly? Mm-hmm. Jenny, she said that Sean reminded her of Opie from... Oh, but Opie was cute. Yeah, but uh, from Andy Griffith show. But it was just like, not that you would hate her, but like... It just pulls at your heartstrings more, like, to, like, don't hurt Opie. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's something my mom would say, thinking that it makes me sound better. And I'm like, don't say I'm Opie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, no, don't say that. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, poor, innocent Sean had no idea it was all a setup to kill him until it was too late. And after the first blow to his head, he cried out in pain and his last words were God help me. And that was information that came out during testimony from the trial. And also Rod said that he had planned to murder one of his classmates for more than a month. Just some random classmate. Just didn't fucking matter who, just any mini fucking miny mo. Basically, yeah, he said he just happened to pick Sean's name from a list of classmates that he saw as possible victims. And later at a parole thing, getting ahead of myself, but at a parole hearing, he said that he ended up picking Sean because he figured not a lot of people would miss him because he was a new kid at school. You know, except for his fucking family. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, dumbass. Also, he said that he, quote, just wanted to find out what it was like to kill someone. And then to add on to that, afterward, he took two of his friends to the woods and showed them Sean's frozen body while he was in the woods for those weeks before he was found. Fuck those friends for not coming forward. One ended up coming forward a little later later. What he did was like, look at what I did, you know, ha, ha, ha. But if you say anything, that's going to be you, you know. And so they're all fucking 14. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, shit, he's already killed someone. True, true. I know. I shouldn't. They're...
1: I mean, not victims in the same way that this poor kid fucking laying frozen in the forest is, Mm -hmm. but I, you know what? Shame on me for saying that, actually. So
0: I take it back. Taking it back. (laughs) But one did come forward a little bit later, and that's how they ended up finding Sean's body. But yes, I know what you're talking about.
1: because Because yes, it is a legitimate fear. And so
0: that, so shame on me. It's a shame on you, but also... It's still, it's a shame on everyone, because besides Sean, who is laying there dead, and it's like, people are looking for him, and y'all know where he is, and Mm -hmm. you know who killed him. Y'all know everything about this story, and all you gotta do is talk. Yeah, and again, police, all the equipment, all the time people are putting in, everything that's going into this. But on the other hand,
1: they're young enough to not understand that the police can keep them safe, and Definitely. you know, I mean, it's not like this dude is like this legit like mafiosa type, right? You know, where it would be really and truly hard to keep him keep them safe from him, you know? Yeah. But they're
0: not necessarily old enough to understand that. True. So, and it's 1986, so you know, like. <laughs> Things were different, too, so I, I don't know. It, it sucks. But I'm sure if someone showed me something and then they were like, but you see that dead body? That's going to be you if you say anything. I'd probably be like, also, though, you know I don't keep a secret, though, right? <laughs> I mean, don't show me a dead body. Well, they wouldn't show you. Right. I'd be like, um, oh. Moving on, just to give a little info on Rod He was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. He's been up for parole a couple of times, but denied each time. And Jenny has been to each hearing, and she said she will continue to go and fight for her son's right to have his killer remain behind bars. Because what Rod said is that, hey, I was a stupid 14-year-old. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I won't do it again. But Jenny is like, you know what? He's never really apologized to me. He's never, you know, done anything. But also, like, he... He was going to kill
1: anybody he wanted to. He uh-huh. just wanted to kill someone. Yes. This wasn't like a random act of aggression mm-hmm. or it was like a they got in a fight or something like that. No, he wanted to kill a classmate right so no this is not just a dumb 14 year old doing dumb 14 year old things this is a kid who wanted to fucking kill and did it
0: right and i don't have like the court documents or anything but i'm pretty sure it came out that he was like setting fires and stuff like little fires before and i mean he had some markers there that i mean he could definitely be a subject of your stories you know what i mean Like, uh, did you have any head trauma, sir? Because you're, you know, like... Ticket all the boxes. Yes. Yes. All right. Now we're going back. When Jacob was 13 years old, Rebecca decided that she was going to share these cases that she found with him in hopes of giving her son closure so that they could all put it behind them. So she let him look over two cases that were pretty much like what he said his visions were. And he picked out Sean's case. So Rebecca reached out to Jenny and Jenny agreed to meet with them at one of her friends' house in Massachusetts, which is where she and Sean lived. The thing about the older brother thing, Rebecca recalled that when Jacob was younger, there was a girl who used a wheelchair in one of his classes and she only had a handful of friends and one of them was Jacob. And now knowing about Sean and his younger sister, Yvonne, who did use a wheelchair, she wonders if Jacob was drawn to her because of the similarities in Sean's past. Well, when Jacob met Jenny, the first thing that she did was ask if she could give him a hug. And he was like, yeah. And she like, Hugged him so tight, and she said, Oh my God, I can't explain to you what I'm feeling, but it's good. And then she, like, just, you know, like, squeezed him, and she said, I can smell Sean. Oh. Well, Rebecca was shocked because Jacob is not a touchy feely kid and does not like to be hugged or touched unless, you know, like, he's in the mood. And it's like a Tuesday.
1: Yeah. You know? The the wind is blowing from the left. And some people call that the west. Right. <laughs>
0: yes. Because the left is always the west. D- definitely. Don't come at us. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't drop <drive> with me. <laughs> <laughs> but Jacob was so open to her and this long hug without hesitation. It was so sweet. Like, when she said that she could smell Sean, she was like, I thought I lost that smell forever. And just then, like, it was, you know, something that she inhaled. Well, they talked about things that he and Sean had in common. And Jacob made a comment about always carrying his sketch pad. And Jenny was like, Sean, too. He carried around my sketch pads and always wondered where they were going. Well, after the meeting, both of them said that they felt a complete connection with each other And Rebecca said both just seemed to have a weight lifted off of their shoulders. They all went to Sean's grave, and it was so sweet and heartwarming. Jacob had some flowers that he laid there. And Jacob told Sean that he was sorry that his life was taken and so short, but that he would continue living as long as he could. You know, and I mean, he's 14. God love him. How awkward is this? But also, he said he just felt so at peace and so normal there. And, you know, well, since that visit, Jacob's headaches have stopped. The next year, he was going to start high school and he was looking forward to that. And I think it's kind of a synchronicity thing that Sean was murdered his freshman year of high school. And then there's this closure, you know, right before Jacob's freshman year. Yeah, You know, and I think they're both, they're both those loner types. Weeks after the visit, Jenny noted that she hadn't had a nightmare since that visit. And usually they were a nightly occurrence for the past two and a half decades. And she said that meeting Jacob really gave her a peace that she didn't know that she could ever find. And so I found this just like searching stuff. And I found an article in the Canton Citizen about her meeting this kid, you know, but it linked to a show called Ghost Inside My Child, and that's on Amazon Prime. I think it came on Annie, but their episode is season two, episode 12, if you want to watch it. And they have two seasons of reincarnation stories. But Jenny said in an interview with that Canton Citizen, she said that she asked the producers tons of questions and ended up hearing a few details about Sean that only she knew. And she said one that she got directly from the medical examiner that never came out in trial, never was in the media. And so that one just solidified her belief right there. And that's what, like, she was like, okay, I'll meet them. You know, like, okay. Do you know what the detail is? No, because... I think since it never came out in the public or anything like that, she never wanted to say it. Yeah. You know, I don't know what that was. Now, doesn't she know we're fucking nosy-nellies? I know. I guess to know. I know. But, and I, I mean, I want all of the details, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it just turned out good. And she even said, like, you know what? People are going to watch that episode and not believe it because it's not a, I know everything there is to know. And, you know, like every single detail and every single whatever. And he's older now. And, you know, all of this. But she was like, I saw his eyes. She was like, he looks nothing like Sean. But those eyes, those really are the window to the soul. But she said looking into his eyes, like she saw Sean. And again, those answers they had for her, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, even if, It wasn't reincarnation, which people can be skeptical of. These people got solace Mm -hmm. after it. That's what I was just
1: about to say. Even if it isn't real, if this grieving mother got a little bit of peace and this child who has been tortured for 14 years of his freaking life from headaches and all the things, like, I'm here for it. Same. Now... If somebody was getting hurt or swindled or whatever, I would be like, fuck them, and who do we call? Right. Who do we write a letter to? (laughs) Yes. But if they are getting some healing by it, who cares? Yeah. Because the same could be said for any religion, that if you don't believe... You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so if you think that religion A is right, and somebody else is religion B, well... You're not going to tell them to stop practicing religion B, even though you think religion A is the right one. Right. That's their religion, and they find solace in it. Well, then let them have it. Right. It's the same thing. Well, I mean, some people do. Well, some people in- do that, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> oh, most people. Uh-huh. I mean, you're in a cult if you don't
0: let people do their thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I said it. I said what I said. <laughs> She's not standing on her soapbox, but she's sitting on it. I mean I'm usually sitting there <laughs> and I didn't go into everything but Jacob did say like you know it was cold where he was, you know and like in the woods and then about the turning around thing like how he said he looked and then when he turned back around is when he got hit mm-hmm. and that goes like that's how it happened with him they were going to build a fort with the fireworks and stuff. And he like turned around to say something. Cause you know, he thought he heard Rod say something. He turned back and Rod hit him. And that's when he knocked down to the ground and said, God help me. And then Rod continued to beat him. I think a total of eight times with the baseball bat. And I don't know what else, you know, after that, but Again, because he's
1: not a 14-year-old that just fucked up. He's a cold-blooded fucking
0: murderer. Mm-hmm. But, like, so many things linked up. And it was such a a small, I hate to say small case, but it's not, like, ripped from the headlines. Like, Natalie Holloway. You know, kind of thing. Where they can go get all these details from Google so that they can swindle the fucking family. Right. So, mine was a sweet story. I probably should have went second this time. Every time I go first, sweet. Every time I go second when I should be sweet, not so sweet. Really need to learn how to do my stories. Been three years. Still don't know. Has it really been three years? It has. Three years, y'all. No wonder I'm so tired of you.
1: (gasps) I don't know what that laugh was. (laughs) That's what I get for being an asshole. That laugh. That's my punishment. And y'all have to hear it too. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, there's not many aspects of my story that's sweet. Shine writing in and telling me to do the story, that was sweet of her. (laughs) So thanks, Shine, for messaging me.
0: She always has some good ones. I mean, look, Shine... Some off-the-wall ones, you yeah. know, like never heard of before. Well, this is one
1: of them. And girl, she made me do some digging. Uh-oh. I sent Will some links that he was like, I'm gonna need your password to get into that. Because <laughs> I had to, like, buy access to some shit to get to this story.
0: It's serious.
1: Yes. Okay. Picture it. It's the morning of August 20th, 1982. We're in Iola, Kansas. At the Allen County Fairgrounds, there was, well, a fair going on. And they had, you know, fair shit, animals, all the things, right? There was a sheriff's deputy walking around patrolling the fairgrounds when a couple of kids walked up to him and they were like, hey, there's this guy over here kind of by the river and something's wrong with him. I don't know why they said it as high pitched as I just did. (laughs) Maybe they hadn't gone through puberty yet.
0: Unsure. They probably did the Gavitron. What was it? The Gravitron? Gravitron. God bless, Donna. So then in a more normal voice, they said,
1: Hey, a guy's over there. Something's wrong with him. <laughs> Why was that so high-pitched? So the sheriff's deputy goes around by the river to just check it out and see what the kids were talking about. When he gets there, he sees this teenage boy who had clearly been severely beaten. He goes up to him and the kid is able to talk to him some. With some more investigating, he realizes that the kid is 15-year-old Gerald Short. Gerald tells police that the day before, he and his friend Stephen Mangus, who's 17, they were at the Allen County Fairgrounds Because they both had sheep in the livestock exhibit. So they had hung out around the fairgrounds all day. And then when they got done showing their sheep. Okay. um, Okay. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, rewind that because I was (laughs) going to take it dirty. I
0: mean, okay.
1: Mary had a little lamb too. After they were done with the sheep, they grabbed some beer. Whenever shut up, Donna. I'm
0: sorry you you went up high on the sheep too. You were like after they were done with the sheep. Wait. Like, okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. After they were done with the livestock exhibit.
1: Yes, thank you. Okay. I don't even know if that's what it's called. They grabbed. That's some, what it's called. Okay. They grabbed some beer and went out. They grabbed some beer. Yeah, I don't know. It's the 80s. They bought it. I don't know.
0: Oh, okay. You just said it so nonchalant. And well, that's how he said it. Okay. okay. I don't know. Okay. They, Weird flex, but go ahead, uh, George Short. Greg Short. Gerald, but okay. Gerald. <laughs> uh, Mr. Short.
1: <laughs> they grabbed some beer, and they went and hung out with some friends, kind of rode around. Don't drink and drive. Oh, my God. This guy. Okay. But... After they hung out with some friends, they ended up going back to the fairgrounds just to hang out and drink some more, and at about 1 a.m., they were just, again, sitting, hanging out, drinking, Gerald and Steven, when all of a sudden, out of the shadows, a black man appeared who was wearing a hood and some goggles and was carrying a gun. Okay. The man with the gun forced them both to away from the fairgrounds, towards this ditch area. Once he got them there, he severely beat them both and sodomized both of the boys. There is not a lot of information about this case, but the next piece of information that I could find is basically later that day, they've got Gerald at the hospital being treated for his wounds, there's a county employee who's out and about kind of in the northwest of the county operating a road grader. I decay what that is. I don't know why that I pictured like a big old lawnmower, but I don't think that's what that is. It doesn't matter. Either way, he's out by this rock quarry when he sees floating in the water at the rock quarry a body. Of course, police officers are called. And when they get there, they find that it is the body of Stephen Mangus. And he had been severely beaten and shot with a twenty-two caliber gun. Now, I want you to keep in mind, Iola is a small town. I mean, less than 5,000 people. Everybody knows everybody. And so this is a big deal that you have this 15-year-old who has been severely beaten and is in the hospital. And his friend who was with him, was his body had just been found. Murdered. Yeah, beaten and shot multiple times. Well, while the officers are at the scene with Stephen's body, they get a call from this car wash in town. And they said, hey, we have a car here. And there is blood splattered all over it. And so police are like, we'll be right there. So they go and get the car. And it's a car of a lady by the name of Adeline Fisk who lives in Iola. So police have the car towed so that they can do whatever 1982 forensics that they do on cars. Now, the stuff that I found from there said that the tow truck driver and some friends started searching. Okay. Why it wasn't police, unsure. Small town in the 80s, question mark? I don't know. Again, there is not a lot that I could find on this case. They all might be like volunteer firefighters. And everything that I could find was like scanned copies of newspapers from 1982. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So apparently the tow truck driver and his buddies you know, armchair detectives, amateur sleuths, whatever you want to say. And they decide to go out and look and figure out where's Adeline Fisk. They decide to go out to the rock quarry where Stephen Mangus's body was just found. When they get there, it didn't take long before they found Adeline's body about two miles from the rock quarry behind this abandoned house. She had also been beaten and shot with a twenty-two caliber gun.
0: What if it's a tow truck driver cleaning up their loose ends? And leading police to the bodies? Well,
1: just a little aside. July 28th, just shy of a month before all of this went down at the county fairgrounds, a 17-year-old by the name of Thomas or Tom Walsh had actually gone missing. So again, this is a lot happening in this really small town in Kansas. Once the body of Adeline was found, the driver and friends continued on their own little investigation. I don't know if maybe they are, because it's such a small town, like you said, are they deputized? Are they, I don't know, because again, it was really hard to find that type of information on this case. But they decided to keep looking in that area. As they continued to search, they ended up finding another body. Convenient. At first, this body was so decomposed that they weren't even able to tell the sex and race of the body. Oh, gosh. But then they, you know, of course, took it for autopsy and all that. And it was determined that it was Tom Walsh and that... He had been stabbed a minimum of 156 times.
0: What? Yes.
1: (sighs) Now, keep in mind, the age of this case, 1982, like I said, I literally had to subscribe to a couple of newspapers so I could get pictures of these stories. It just wasn't like full access kind of thing. So, I never could find how police made this next leap but somehow, they began to focus on a suspect by the name of Nathaniel J. Smith, and he goes by the name Yorkie.
0: I thought maybe Nate, but never in my wildest dreams Yorkie. I wonder if he liked York peppermint patties. Oh my god. You like them? I mean, yeah, a lot of people do. My mama liked
1: them. Ugh. But like, I mean, you think that's why he's called Yorkie? Maybe. Okay. Okay. Why do you think? Literally no idea. (laughs) It's also not really clear exactly how Adeline and Tom play into this. Like, what is their connection to Gerald and Stephen? There's some speculation that, at least for Adeline, Stephen, and Gerald, that the motive was robbery. Because Adeline's wallet was just missing, period. Period. And Stephen and Gerald's money was gone from their wallets. And her car was taken. So maybe she was like wrong place, wrong time. And he just needed to kind of like get the hell out of Dodge. And so she was kind of his getaway. Like he killed her. You know, he did his thing with Stephen and Gerald. And then just kind of had to get the hell out of Dodge. And so he... Carjacked her basically and killed her, took her car. But then it's like, but what about Tom? Like, was he chosen target? But we'll talk, we'll talk more about Tom later.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that I don't think any of those were robbery other than her, but not like money. That was just added bonus. Like, okay. And also this, because you don't go to rob someone and then sodomize them. Right. Like, no, 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 no. If you're going to rob someone, that's not your, like, oh, and by the way, but if you're there to sodomize, like, if you're there to do that kind of shit, and then you're, like... An insult to injury. Yeah, like, and, yeah, for my trouble, here I go. Right. That's a, you know what I mean? It doesn't go the other way. And with her, yeah, he wanted her car. Like you said, wrong place. He might have known her. I have no idea. You know, like, I don't know, because it's small town. And then he took her wallet because he wanted extra money. Again, while I'm here, give me all your money. Right. But with Tom, obviously, he was, the, like, maybe not the first, but before Stephen and Gerald. So maybe he hadn't got up the courage to sodomize yet. And, like, it was just a murder thing. Or, like, he tried to. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Or we don't know yet. If he did it, because it was so badly decomposed. Well,
1: they charged him with like 16 felonies, murders, attempted murders, literally like threw the book at him. We do know that he had a girlfriend and that they had been out target practicing with a 22 caliber pistol. So police went and got the bullets from the tree where they had done target practicing and those bullets matched the 22 caliber bullets that were used to kill Stephen Mangus and Adeline Fisk.
0: Oh, shit.
1: It, literally like a smoking gun. Yeah. The other thing is that Yorkie had a brother. Well, he was like a... I don't know why they decided to point out that he was an adopted brother, but still a brother. His name's Roger. And Roger said, and even testified in court, that... On the 19th, so the night that the boys were attacked, because they were, well, they really were attacked at like 1 a.m. on the 20th, but I digress. He had dropped Yorkie off in like, quote, a rural area. And he said that when he dropped Yorkie off, he was wearing a hood and goggles. And I was like, okay, well, that's bizarre. But like, literally, I wrote, I found this bizarre, but we'll go with it. Yeah. He also says, I saw him get a 22 caliber pistol like out of their mom's garage. And I'm like, okay, so why wouldn't he like, like like bro, where you what you got
0: planned tonight? Where are you going?
1: Yeah. Why you got a hood and goggles and a 22 caliber pistol on you? Like what you got
0: going on? Yeah. Were they like night vision goggles? I don't know what this goggles business was. I'm picturing like steampunk goggles. I don't even know why.
1: But if you remember what did Gerald say the guy had on? Yeah, goggles. I mean, I guess he didn't want, like, blood sp- splatter back on his eyes. But, like, why didn't you just keep them in your pocket? Like, don't those fog up? So you're thinking he had, like, laboratory kind of goggles? I don't know what they were. I don't, I, I mean, even if it was just, like, freaking swimming goggles. Maybe, he, you know, he just didn't yeah. want something splat. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I was kind of like, mm, why was Roger not more like, bro, this is weird? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But I did find that Roger had some like skeletons in his own closet because 10 days before the bodies were found, he was actually arrested for aggravated battery. So like he had his own shit to deal with. Yeah. Like, and I think like he's got his own kind of shady shit. So he's like, oh, you got your hood and your goggles on. Okay, bro. All right. All right. Where, where you need to go. All right. I got you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're,
1: like it's just... It, it is what it is. Don't ask, don't tell. Right. It's their norm. Like I said, all that stuff came out in trial. And he was convicted and sentenced to, like, multiple life sentences in prison. But here's the kicker of it all. Because we are not done. Three months before these murders happen, old Yorkie was paroled. So he had been in jail. And three months before he committed all these murders, he was paroled. And he had served eight years of a 12-year-to-life sentence for second-degree murder. I'm sorry. And why was he paroled? Oh, yes. And here's my question. When did, like, 12 to 15 years become the new life sentence? (laughs) Right? Why is a life sentence not a fucking life sentence? I mean, honestly. Even one of the articles that I was reading about what we're about to talk about even said that. Like it was like and this is like 1985 or 6 or whatever this article was written in and it was saying how again, most life sentences are 15 years and then you have to serve like 12 of it before you're eligible for parole. Yeah. It's like how 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 Mm -hmm. And, like, of this, he was eligible for parole after, like, six years and six months. And so he had been denied parole three times before
0: he was actually paroled. Oh, because that makes a lot of sense, then. Oh, let's just keep talking. Also, though, real quick, you sounded like a true crime Carrie Bradshaw Because you're like, when did 12 to 15 years become the new life sentence? You know, (laughs) like when she does her little like titles for her things. That's what you sounded like.
1: (laughs) Okay, so let's just talk about his rap sheet. So all of this happened before the original murder charge. So murder charge number one, got paroled, then did... You know, the story I just told. So, felonious assault. He shot a man and then attempted to rape the man's girlfriend. He served six years. I'm sorry? Six fucking years. Wow. hmm Then, while he was in prison for the OG murder, like the one that he got paroled for, while he's in prison for that murder... He got in trouble for not once, but twice sexually assaulting an inmate. Wow. So, why was he released? He did not have good behavior. Not to mention his assaults were clearly escalating. Yes. Like it went from okay, I'm going to assault this guy with a gun and I'm going to like I'm going to shoot this guy and I'm going to attempt to rape his girlfriend and I'm going to assault, you know, and now I'm going to kill this guy. And then, you know, it's like there, it's just like continually escalating. Mm -hmm. And by the by, there was some psychological tests because anybody that was sentenced to a life in prison like that had to have these psychological evaluations. And his showed that he was prone to same sex assaults and rapes. And that they had been occurring against others. So, like, not he hadn't been assaulted. He had been assaulting others since he was a child. Wow. Like, literally, in my notes, I wrote, he had been doing this since he was a boy. And I said, <laughs> like, said like, Woody, like, you are a toy. Yeah. This is why I wonder if Tom was a chosen target... And not one of opportunity. Mm. Or, like, even if it was an opportunity, he was still like, oh, hey, I like him. Yeah. So he gets paroled, finds Tom, assaults him. And like you said, his body's too decomposed to tell if he had been sodomized or raped or both. And then it's been close to a month. And he's got the itch again, he wants to do it again, and then he sees these two boys who are drunk, and so he thinks, I can take them, I've got a gun, and so he goes to attack them, and then maybe they put up more of a fight, because Gerald doesn't remember a lot of it. He remembers some, obviously, because we have some of a story, but he doesn't remember a lot. And so, I'm wondering if maybe they put up more of a fight than he thought they would, And so, he's able to kill Stephen, but not Gerald. And then, when he's trying to get away, that's when he takes Adeline, kills her for the getaway car.
0: Yeah. Also,
1: when I was looking to try to find more about his background, because I couldn't find anything about his childhood, I only found his birthday because I went through the Kansas inmate search. And found his birthday because I found his, like, inmate record. Wow. There was something about finding his inmate record that was somber to me. I even, like, copied and pasted it in my notes because it had all of his movements while he was in prison. Like, came into jail, was released, came back into jail, paroled, you know, went out for sentencing, you know, Bob, blah, blah. like, you know, anytime he had to like go somewhere for something, return from record appearance, like that kind of thing. And we've kind of touched on this, but it's one thing to like read all these articles and hear of a story. But I don't know, it was something just, and I've looked inmates up before. I don't, I mean, I've looked people I know who are inmates up before. <laughs> like, I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't know what it was about this one search. But I just was like, Damn. Maybe it was because this was like, it was like, this is all that was left of him that I could find. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I don't know, but it was like, it was pretty somber finding that. But after his conviction, there was some back and forth about the legality of it, how substantial it was. And so we'll talk a little bit about it. I'm not going to get too much into the court stuff, but his attorney, his being Yorkie, Yorkie's attorney, just about three years after Yorkie was sentenced was disbarred
0: oh shit
1: yeah I found this whole the whole write-up about like why he was disbarred like it had some of the reasonings and stuff like one of them was talking about how he was supposed to serve all these bench warrants that he didn't serve One of them said that he showed up to court in a German officer uniform circa World War II covered in swastikas
0: um, I'm sorry, why? Mm, why would anyone think that's a good idea? Ever? Because he was off his rocker. Wow. So,
1: obviously, there were some grounds, maybe allegedly, for ineffective counsel. Use of counsel, assistance of counsel, whatever the saying is. Because this went all the way up to the Supreme Court in appeals. And, you know, when you have the Supreme Court decision, it, like, lays out, basically lays out every single reason that they said oh, well, this is why you should throw it out. And this is why you should throw it out. And so that was one of the reasons they said. Another thing was that they said that apparently Roger, his brother, had gotten in a fight with Stephen Mangus, like the night before the murders. But that never came up at trial. It was almost like they were saying it was like a Brady violation, like the defense never knew about it. But how would the defense not know about that? And the prosecution know about that when it's his own brother. You know, like, I just don't know. Anyway, I never found what the fight was about. I never found, did they know each other? Was it just like, they just happened to bump into each other? So, was it random? Did Roger come home and tell Yorkie about these kids and he went out to get revenge and then he had this dumping ground from where he put Tom and he was like, well, while I'm getting these guys, I'm going to go ahead and get my, get mine and do what he does. Yeah. And assault them. Wow. And you know, I, I don't know, but long story short, as far as the appeals, they reversed a couple of his convictions as far as like a couple of the batteries, like one of the kidnappings and one of the batteries, but they basically left everything else. And so like, Attempted robbery, attempted like murder, first degree murder, aggravated kidnap, like tons of them, and so he was sentenced to over a hundred years in prison. He ended up dying in prison, December twenty third, nineteen ninety three. Wow. One more thing I want to tell you: we know Iola is this very small town, and these were a lot of murders that happened, you know, kind of in this cluster around this one killer. So, he was paroled in 82. So, that would have mean that he went in jail at about 74, right? So, basically, he would have gone to prison the first time, like 73, 74-ish. Back in the last week of September and the first week of October, there were two other murders in Iola that still remain unsolved. Really? Some wonder if Yorkie did it. So on September 30th, 1969, Betty Cantrell, she worked at a diner and she got to work at like 2 a.m. every morning. She was like the one that got everything ready for the diner to open at like 6 a.m., right? So she had to get to work for like 2 a.m.
0: Bless Betty for what she did because I need those biscuits and everything, but who? I know. 2 a.m.? Oh, gosh. You're not even asleep by then. I'm not. Yeah. Oh, my God. Waking up starting my day at 2?
1: I can't even process. Like, oh, like literally, gosh. that makes my stomach hurt. Because if you make me wake up before 6 a.m., I'm going to throw up. Like, my body revolts. Like, I will, <laughs> I will literally throw up. Oh, gosh. Well, at 4.30 that morning, one of the police officers drove by the diner Saw her in there working, the lights are on, everything's good. Well, at 5 a.m., when everybody else gets there to start their shift, the lights are off at the diner, the doors shut, and Betty's car is missing. Her car is found later that morning on a different street near the creek. There's no signs of her. Well, fast forward a few days, they're still looking for Betty when all of a sudden, a 14-year-old by the name of Sally Hutton goes missing. Sally had been at the local football game that night, and I picture, do you remember going to football games? You would just like walk around underneath the bleachers, just hanging out, talking oh, to people. Yeah. Like, you weren't really hanging out with anybody in particular. You were just like walking, talking, uh-huh. hanging out. Yeah. That's what I picture. Because like everything says, she wasn't really hanging out with anybody. In particular, everybody was just hanging out. Yeah. Well, when the game was over, sometime between 8 and 9, Sally leaves the game with who two witnesses say was just a young man in his car. They didn't know who he was. They couldn't give a name. But they kind of gave police a eh, description of him and the car. And that was the last time anyone saw Sally alive. The next afternoon, they found Sally's body in a ditch about a mile north of the Allen County Country Club. Where she was was said to be like a lover's lane. There was no attempts to, like, hide her body. She was just out in the open. She had been beaten with a tire iron. That's fucking brutal. Yes. Her leg was broken. Her back was injured. And they thought that maybe she had been run over by a car. <gasps> mm But they were like, there's not a lot of blood here. So they think that she may have been murdered somewhere else and then dumped there. And then, of course, like the autopsy showed that she probably was like, okay, with the amount of blood that was lost, amount of blood that was there. Yes, she was dumped. Later that very same evening, Betty's body was found. Her body was found floating in a creek. Betty was just 28 years old. Gosh. She had been beaten in the head. There was a rock that was close to her that was covered in blood. And so they think that that may have been the murder weapon. But ultimately, she died from drowning. Oh, my gosh. At one point, though, there was someone that they described like as like the town drunk, quote unquote, that confessed to Betty's murder and... One article I found said it even, like, went to trial, and he was found not guilty. But another thing I saw said that they threw his confession out because he was drunk. But, again, one thing said it was like, no, it, like, went all the way to trial, and they're like, no, no, you didn't do this. Like, he was, like, this is a false confession. Yeah. Wow. But both of their murders remain unsolved to this day.
0: That's so sad. But just how they were beaten
1: and how their bodies were dumped and all of that like some people think that it's Yorkie but one of the blogs where I got a lot of good information on both of their deaths made a good point you know it's 1969 in pretty rural Kansas in a small town and Sally is a white girl and Yorkie is a black man so if they had been seen, you know, leaving the football game, Mm -hmm. that would have been memorable. Like people would have, that would have been something that they would have, the witnesses that saw them leaving would have been like, he was a black man. Right. And that never came up from either witness about who she left the football game with. Yeah. And so that's why people are like, I don't know if it necessarily was him that she left with. Right. Right. So, there's no evidence to point to Yorkie for either one of those murders. And they, like I said, they both remain unsolved to this day. But it is one of those kind of conspiracy things that some people really do believe that he did. I don't think he did those. It doesn't fit. He, I really think that he was battling with something because of how he f- chose male victims. Mm-hmm. And he chose to rape and sodomize male victims. Like, I don't know if he was battling his own sexual orientation or if he had been sexually assaulted as a child and that was how he expressed it. I don't know, but that didn't match. Like, him attacking those girls by themselves doesn't match his M.O. Yeah. Now, the attack where he spent the six years in jail, mm-hmm. he attacked the guy and then attempted to rape his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So yes, he did attempt to rape a girl, but I think that it was more as
0: like a fuck you to the dude. Exactly. And he didn't. Right. It, right. But we don't know. We why. don't know why. But again, we don't know why. Right. Yeah. And then the whole dumping at lovers lane and her not being beaten there. Mm hmm. That to me shows like it was someone who liked her and mm-hmm. felt rejected by her or something. Exactly. Saw her leave with that other person or something or was that other person, you know, something like that was rejected by her, you know, got really mad, beat her up and then like, you know, stupid slut, you know, kind of thing and put her there. Exactly. It wasn't him. Like, I don't, I, ju- I just don't feel like that was him. And I don't even know if those two things are related. Betty and Sally's mm-hmm. thing, you know, like they're both horrific murders. And just the timing. It's just interesting that
1: they happened so close to one another. I mean, mm-hmm. days apart mm-hmm. in this town that basically had no murders. And it's like, bam, had a bunch. Bam, had a bunch. You know, they just came in these yeah. clusters.
0: And it And it really could be linked and it could have been like, this guy felt rejection and, you know, killed Betty, killed Sally. Ki- you know, who knows? And sadly, it's unsolved, and he's still out there if it's not Yorkie, which I don't believe that that was his doing. He did a fuck enough. Yes, he did. Oh,
1: oh. God bless. He scared me. Sorry. I don't know where this went in my notes. I'm so glad I remembered this. It's, like, just not even there. So, the three young boys... Gerald, Stephen, and Tom's families all sued the state, like the parole board, for letting him out. Yeah. Because, I mean, why? Mm -hmm. Because they were like, clearly you didn't review his file at fucking all because you had access to that psychology report. All this stuff, you rejected him four times That parole board had paroled like a thousand people that year. They had only rejected like 500 people because of all that, like because of his crimes, a couple of the members of the parole board had already resigned and all of this, but they ended up bringing a lawsuit and they actually won. Good for them. And they got $375,000 to split among them. Nobody sued on Adeline's behalf because she like didn't have a next of kin,
0: mm, basically so to sue. Yeah,
1: so that's why she wasn't involved yeah. in the suit.
0: Good for them because that's so true, and even more so, he had attempted rape on that female. Then he raped two inmates. He was
1: in prison for murder for life. Yeah, that murder. We have people who are in prison for drugs for longer. Yes. He was in prison for murder. Murder. Mm Mm-hmm. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the articles that I was reading about the parole stuff, I mean, it brought up some good points about the monetary implications of this. And it's like, you know, we want them to parole people because... The system gets mad when you don't parole people. The citizens get mad when you do, because of overcrowding and the amount of you know it costs. Again, in this article, this was from the like '80s, so you know it was like eleven to fourteen thousand a year to house an inmate. Obviously, it's going to be more now. Yeah. So they want you to parole these inmates, but then the citizens don't want them out. But then you have all this overcrowding. And so it's like, when did the policies match the needs in the prisons? And it's like, I know if we could answer this, we would solve the world's problems. But Mm -hmm. it's like, it truly is a problem. And even in this article, they talked about, you know, a lot of the states that don't have the death penalty. It's like, it's not because it's some moral high ground for a lot of them. It's because of the cost. Yeah. Because it costs millions more in appeals and all of that. Right. You know, and it's like, it's so true. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we don't know the answer, and we're certainly not going to figure out in the last five minutes of this fucking podcast, but it's like, what's the fucking answer? Because keeping them in prison for longer is only going to overcrowd, and it's only going to cause more problems, and it's only going to cost more and put more strain on the officers and and it's this fucking domino effect. Mm -hmm. But then you can't just release everybody. But why don't we not release the fucking violent offenders? How about that? Why don't we just start there?
0: Well, and why don't we start by not arresting and like putting people to jail that have like non-violent crimes to that degree? Like you're saying, people who are in jail for like minuscule things that are there for way longer than they should be. I think it starts more
1: at that. Well, and I mean, it's a revolving door of it's like, it's our men- it's our system with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. It's our Very access to drug rehab. It's our access to education. It's our access to, you know, healthcare, uh, in addition to mental health services. It's the disparities in different socioeconomic statuses. And I mean, it, it, it's like a, revolving door of issues that leads to this problem mm-hmm. which is why there's no fucking answer which is why we're we're never going to figure this out right but i think it really does start with policy yeah and getting policy changes of who stays in prison for what and how long yeah who that's two weeks in a row that i've had some like drama you really yeah and you say, I'm the Leo. It's not my fault. Y'all are recommending these fucking stories. I mean, thank you. I love them. <laughs> You're stressing me out, though. No, I'm just kidding. I fucking love them.
0: Yeah, I really like this because, I mean, obviously, had never heard of this. No, hell no. Nor would I have ever found this. Yeah, so I really like this.
1: Also, the uh, researcher nerd slash ADHD person in me really loved tracking down some of these articles. And I'd be like... You won't give me access to it. I will find it.
0: Yeah. So seriously, keep sending in your recommendations. True crime, paranormal, all the things. In our Facebook group, we have an announcement that is like suggestion box. And you can just post a comment and yeah, we'll, we'll put them in our list. And I don't know, go down rabbit holes finding all the answers for y'all. Next week... Maybe not so much of a thanker. A thanker. That's how you
1: say it. Thank. I can't help it. That's why I said it like that. Donna no, says thank instead of think.
0: That sounds wrong to me. Well, you also say cheery. Instead of cherry. Well, yeah, yeah, that one, that one happened. Yeah, so here we are. But I knew it was wrong on that. I know everything I say is wrong. I'm so glad we're recording. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> y'all heard it here everything she says is wrong
0: <laughs> it's opposite day we got it. no no no, no. <laughs> isn't that what you always say it's opposite day <laughs> <laughs> i literally crossed up fingers when you said it. like the fingers were crossed <laughs> <I bless.
1: laughs> i'm such a child <laughs> oh my gosh well thank y'all so much for listening don't forget to like review subscribe all the things and remember creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared, scared.